You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. It is Budget Day in BC and the NDP announced big investments and big tax hikes. Well, that's right. There's a lot to cover, but here are three key takeaways. The government is planning for an estimated $219 million surplus for 2018-19. It'll spend $1 billion on child care over three years and $1.6 billion for affordable housing over the same time period. Richard Zussman explains what you get for the money and how the government will get the funds to pay for it all. There was no doubt what the NDP's top priority was in Budget 2018. People have clearly been hurt by the housing crisis. The province announcing new housing taxes and investing $6 billion over 10 years to build more than 100,000 affordable homes. Overall, the province's economic picture was pretty rosy. A six-straight balanced budget and a projected $219 million surplus. Budget 18 continues down that path to a strong, sustainable British Columbia that puts people first. The other signature investment in the budget was child care. The NDP is introducing a new affordable child care benefit for licensed child cares. The way it works is facilities can get up to $350 a month per child care spot. We need to heed the ever-expanding body of research showing us the public spending on child care is a wise social and economic investment. The province also planning 22,000 new licensed child care spaces over three years and training more early childhood educators. After 16 years, child care in this province is a disaster and this government has committed to turning that around. All right. So, Dad? The third big announcement, MSP premiums, will be gone for all British Columbians by 2020. But small businesses with payrolls higher than $500,000 a year will be paying a new employer health tax. The response from the business community, not positive. Well, this will discourage growth, it will discourage investment. That is going to be disproportionately felt by our members, who are the small business community here in British Columbia. Surprise! So they're just moving uh, health care tax over to the employers officially now. In a budget largely seen as a big step towards dealing with affordability, what stands out is one giant MSP surprise. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, as you heard, the budget also tackles B.C.'s housing affordability crisis, the NDP unveiling a plan that it says will stabilize the housing market. But as John Waugh reports, those hoping for relief in the rental market say it still falls short. Hitting the right housing note a must for the B.C. NDP's first budget. Something's got to be, you know, done to kind of make it, you know, a city that can be inhabited by you know, its own residents. How about an open assault on outside money entering the market? BC's real estate market should not be used as a stock market. It should be used to provide safe and secure homes for families, for renters, for students, for seniors. The first measure phasing in a speculation tax of 2% by 2019. The target, the owners of unused homes that don't pay income tax in BC. So by insisting that anybody who owns property has to pay meaningful income tax, or else they're going to be hit with a big property tax, uh, that's a really big step in the right direction. Feeling it even more, those caught by the foreign buyer's tax, which immediately jumps from 15 to 20%. I'm not really sure if it's addressing the big problem, um, 
foreign buyers are a pretty significant minority. It's anything's worth a try right now because it's hard, super hard. The BC NDP even broadening the boundaries of the two taxes past Metro Vancouver, adding the Capital Regional District, Fraser Valley, Central Okanagan, and Nanaimo Regional District. Extending it to other communities ensures that we simply don't push the speculation into neighboring markets. Experts say the high-end market will take the biggest hit, with the property transfer tax increasing to 5% for homes over $3 million. We've already seen a lot of weakness over the last year. Very hard to unload a luxury property these days. While hopeful homeowners seem to have been heard, renters feeling rejected by this budget. Today's a deep disappointment because what it says is, oh, you'll get a couple hundred more dollars when you get kicked out, but that's not going to assist people who are faced with leaving the city, leaving their families, leaving their jobs. New rules to stop rent evictions, noticeably absent. Yeah, I think renters are getting left behind because we don't really have another option. So while some might see this budget as a high note on housing, others say it's just half measures that won't help them in this market. John Hua, Global News. And Keith Bolt rejoins us now live from Victoria with more on the tax hikes mentioned in today's budget. Keith, break it down for us. Yeah, you heard John and Richard outline a number of new taxes coming online in the coming years. Uh, Here's uh, how they translate in terms of money going back to the government. That speculation housing tax, that equates to about $200 million going to the provincial government on an annual basis. Those changes in terms of increases on property and school taxes on homes worth more than $3 million, $320 million, what that will fetch starting next year. Tobacco goes up every year, but thought I'd point this out. That's a $95 million uh, increase in tobacco taxation revenues. Uh, cannabis, for the first time we've got a number associated with how much money the government thinks it's going to make on cannabis. $75 million on a full year. The carbon tax is going up every year by $5 a ton. That nets out to $200 million a year. And finally, the big surprise today, that's new employer health tax that replaces the HS, uh, MSP. That works out to about $1.8 billion over a full year total. Uh, $2.7 billion in new taxes. I talked to Carol uh, James, the finance minister, about that new employer health tax, about whether it's unfair, could it lead to layoffs. Here's her response. So we believe it's a fair approach to ask businesses to be able to pay starting in 2019. Small businesses will be protected. If you have a payroll of under 500000 you will pay no employer's health tax. Between 500000 and $1.5 million, you only pay a portion of the tax. So, in fact, the majority of businesses in British Columbia will not pay the employer's uh, health tax. So, Keith, right now we're looking at a surplus, but how easy would it be for this budget to turn into a deficit? Very easily. If she's got a razor-thin surplus, just over $200 million on a $50 billion-plus spending budget. Here's something to put this in context. Last year, with the amount spent on fighting wildfires in excess of $600 million, it's only budgeted right now for $63 million to fight wildfires this summer. If there's another bad season, that surplus could very easily turn into a deficit. All right. Thanks for that, Keith Baldry and Victoria. And for another look at all of this, you can find all the budget details on our website, globalnews.ca slash BC. Now, a dramatic rescue closed part of the Coquihalla Highway overnight. Three semi-trucks colliding with one plummeting over an embankment and trapping the driver. Jeff Hastings has more on how crews managed to reach the driver and pull him to safety. 
The Coquihalla Highway is open now, and it has been for more than 24 hours at this point, but it was shut down for a time early Monday morning because of a crash that resulted in a heroic rescue. Three semi-tractor trailers were coming down the hill around the corner. One of them lost control and jackknifed. The second smashed into the first, and the third hit the second. His cab separating from his trailer, the cab with the driver still inside going over that embankment some 30 meters almost into a river below. The semi, like, it was crumpled up pretty badly against some trees. If the trees hadn't been there, there was a creek it would have gone into. You couldn't recognize it as a semi. It was pretty banged up. must have rolled over more than once on the way down because it was crunched up pretty good. There were several rocks in that, so it was a little... The guys down below, when we hauled up, they had to weave their way around the rocks and, and to get up with him. It took a couple of hours for the long line rope rescue. There were firefighters involved, there were search and rescue crews involved, the RCMP was involved, and the driver was taken out eventually on a board with a broken femur. We don't know what his current condition is, but he was alive. The highway was shut down for almost 12 hours. Back to you. All right, thanks, Jeff. Emergency warming shelters are busy as a bitter blast of winter on the south coast lingers. While many lower mainlanders are trying hard not to complain too much, the frigid temperatures are particularly dangerous for the region's homeless. Last night, 90 people used temporary emergency warming shelters, which are set up at three Vancouver community centres. Some permanent shelters, like the Union Gospel Mission, have been so full they've had to turn people away. Last night, we were totally full. We did not have any turnaways, but the night before, we had 25 turnaways. There are a lot of people who just don't have a place to go. And uh, when, you, when you have a choice to either stay outside and be cold or come in, we try and get as many people in, but it's really tough. The warming shelters will reopen tonight with the cold lingering and snow in the forecast. Coquitlam RCMP are looking for potential victims of a piano teacher, Dimitro Kubishkin, also known as Dimitri, is charged with three counts of sexual assault involving former students between 1998 to 2015. Kubishkin is believed to have been teaching in private homes for more than 20 years, and RCMP believe there could be more victims. This is not something we take lightly, putting out the name and photo of somebody who's been accused of a crime, but given the nature of what's happened here, it's necessary. We have allegations that stretch over 20 years. Uh, they've resulted in three counts of sexual assault against a 67-year-old Coquitlam piano teacher. As police, we have to entertain the possibility, the strong possibility, that there are other victims out there we haven't spoken to. Kubishkin is currently in custody, but RCMP say he's likely to be released on conditions. If you have any information, you're asked to contact Coquitlam RCMP. It's a major concern for police, especially on the weekends, and following the death of a nightclub employee who lost his life trying to break up a fight, there are more calls for increased safety measures on the Granville Strip. Grace Key joins us with the details of a new motion put forward by a city councillor. Grace. Yeah, NPA City Councilor George Affleck will be introducing a motion tomorrow. And he says that some immediate steps need to be taken now before more lives are lost. Things are known to get a little rowdy at Vancouver's Granville Entertainment District. Two people have been killed on the Strip, the most recent just last month, when 23-year-old Kel Winter Thin was stabbed to death outside the Cabana nightclub while breaking up a fight. 
After the incident, Mayor Gregor Robertson said he planned to meet with the police chief about the violence, including sexual assaults. The violence, which is most troubling, uh, or it's uh, we've seen sexual assaults be a constant problem uh, for uh, for people in the Granville Entertainment District. NPA Councillor George Affleck plans to introduce a motion calling for review of the area. What are we waiting for? How many more lives have be lost on the street. How unsafe should the street continue to be? We need action. Enough of this. Let's get going and fix this street. Better transportation services, staggering bar closing times, enhancing the dining and live music experience, and reactivating the street surveillance cameras from the Olympics are some of the changes he says are needed. I believe we should fast track uh, today, and I know it's controversial. I think that if we had a, a, a structure of cameras and letting people know that, giving the police the tool that exists just for this street, we can't take any more people dying on this street. Charles Gautier with the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association calls the character of the area unfair, pointing out there has been investment and development along the Granville Strip. Prior to 2008, I would agree that it was a huge issue in the city compared to now, which I don't think it is. And it is unfortunate that there was a death there a couple of weeks ago. But again, I think we have to put everything in context. Gautier also points out there is a working group that was established in June to address the concerns. So a lot of the things that Councillor Affleck is proposing uh, we've been working on at the working group and suggesting it, and it's being explored. So some people will have the opportunity to speak on this issue tomorrow afternoon. And the family of Kelwinder Thin, the young man who was killed outside of the nightclub last month, they are also expected to speak. Chris? All right, Grace, thank you. Peter. Right now, though, another unexpected side effect tonight of Metro Vancouver's skyrocketing real estate. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the high cost of housing is part of the reason four churches are up for sale. There was a time when churches were the center of the community, when putting on your Sunday best and joining the rest of the congregation was what just about everybody did, was. The real crisis for many uh, Christian churches really began in the late 60s and in the 70s. Uh, as the churches became seen by many as part of, quote, the establishment. And the establishment was something many wanted to separate themselves from. As a result, congregations got smaller. But most churches, like St. Mark's Anglican in Kitsilano, held on. Even in the late 1980s, St. Mark's had a reasonable congregation. Um, but it began to decline as people aged. And it kept declining. Five years ago, St. Mark's closed its doors to worshippers, changing times and skyrocketing real estate, the biggest culprits. Children no longer live in the neighborhood. They find less expensive places to live elsewhere in the lower mainland, which means grandchildren are now growing up outside of the, the sphere. The Anglican Diocese made a modest income by leasing the building out to various organizations, but it wasn't enough, which brings us to today. It's for sale, yes. It's for sale under contract. St. Mark's is one of four Metro Vancouver Anglican churches up for sale. It's hardly the first time they've sold off church property. The grounds next to St. Faith's, where the rectory used to be, were sold several years ago and redeveloped. Proceeds of such sales go into a trust fund. I'm hopeful because I've seen what the sale of property has done for my parish, um, and I know what the redevelopment of other places has, has meant. Linda Aylesworth, Global News.
A Toronto mother has some issues with car manufacturer Audi tonight after her vehicle filled with smoke, forcing her to pull over and quickly get her children out. As Global's Sean O'Shea reports, she's mystified by the automaker's explanation. We loved the idea of having an Audi. Balsam Mahmood on buying a brand new Audi Q7 in 2015. She was happy until something happened earlier this month with her kids in the back. My son started, who's eight years old, started screaming, Mommy, there's smoke, there's smoke. Smoke in the cabin. There was smoke between my son and me coming out from the central console. The mother of two was afraid something worse was going to happen. This could blow up any, any second. No one was injured and the car didn't catch fire. Now it's at the dealership waiting. Global News has reported on other recent Audi fires, like this one, on a highway after it was serviced. And on another Audi that caught fire in a driveway. Last year, prompted by complaints, Audi recalled more than half a million vehicles for fire risk. But in Mahmoud's case, Audi said this was the customer's problem. She'd have to pay the repair. They've told us the cost is $1,800. They said the smoke from electrical burning was from what most would consider an unlikely source. Water and salt from my kids' winter boots. That's right, kids' boots. Because apparently corrosion build up from snow went into the vent and caused this to burn. She doesn't buy that explanation that water from boots would seep inside the rear console. Her vehicle is in pristine shape. I mean, every mother puts her kids in winter boots in the winter, and it shouldn't be an issue for you to have to think about taking the boots off before you came in the car. She called us after Audi's denial of help. The dealer's general manager talked to her and asked to investigate more. He said this is the first time he's heard about it. Mahmoud, still without her car, would like to give Audi the boot for its explanation, blaming kids with her footwear and for refusing to pay to have it fixed. First it was wine, then craft beer. BC producers making a name worldwide for quality beverages. And as Kylie Stanton reports, three BC distillers are now venturing into the venerable world of single malt scotch. This is our own Canadian single malt whiskey. Those are a few words you wouldn't normally string together. Canadian single malt whiskey. Cheers, cheers. But here at the Victoria Caledonian Distillery and Brewery, that's beginning to change. It's really delicious. Does it stand up to others you've tried? Oh, most, <laughs> most definitely. You know, there's been a lot of hard work, uh, graft, and a lot of risk taking, and it really has come to fruition. What well, seems like overnight, but it's actually been several years in the building towards it. Graham McAloney went back to his roots to create his business from the ground up. So what we've got up here are the copper pot stills where the magic happens of distillation. Bringing in equipment from Scotland and working with masters of the craft to perfect this process. It's done the classic Scottish way. Um, it's just that we've tweaked every step of the way to turn this into a world-class product. And now anyone can get a glimpse into it. We want to have a touch-it-taste-it-smell experience. Tourism is a huge part of this venture. The distillery runs hands-on tours and tastings of not only the whiskey, but craft beer as well. When you're making whiskey, you're actually making beer on the way to making whiskey. Here in BC, it's one of the, one of the first places that are making that kind of connection. Being able to do both of them is, is really exciting and really great fun. But here's the catch. We can't call it whiskey. We call it single malt spirit. Technically speaking, whiskey requires at least three years in a barrel, and this one has only been aged about 11 months. However, if you smell the fruit on the nose, and if you sip it, 
then what you'll taste is an 87 point score single malt spirit. Well, slancha. Slancha. That's incredible. Very nice. Good stuff, eh? Macaloni believes it has the makings of a premium and potentially world winning single malt. To know for sure will take some time. For now, He's enjoying the small victories. When people are in for a pint or for a wee dram, it really makes it worth all the hard work. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. And at last check, Kylie was still on still assignment there. there. I heard a lot of yelling and screaming from way up top. Two window washers in Jacksonville, Florida, living out their worst workplace nightmare, left dangling after their scaffolding failed. Their shouts brought out firefighters, and after about 30 minutes hanging off the side of the building, the two were finally pulled up and onto the roof. Students from the Students Florida from High the School that was the site of last week's mass shooting took a road trip for change today. You guys need to make sure that you stay strong and you keep the message. About 100 students boarded buses bound for the Florida State Capitol, seeing the murders of 17 of their classmates and teachers have galvanized them to take action. They're holding a march tomorrow to demand a ban on assault rifles and stricter gun control. Students, survivors, and now activists. We are demanding change. We have stared down the barrel of an AR-15 ourselves. More than 100 from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School on an eight-hour trip to meet lawmakers and rally outside the Florida State Capitol tomorrow. Now is the time to make compromise, to come together. Stop gun violence! Again today across Florida, students walked out of class demanding safety from gun violence on campus. It's so easy to get a gun nowadays. It's ridiculous. But this afternoon, Florida legislators declined to hear a bill on banning assault rifles. Students in attendance overcome with emotion. This as friends and family gathered for three more funerals, including 15-year-old Peter Wang, member of Junior ROTC. Today, West Point honored his bravery with a posthumous appointment to the academy. I just prepared to die. It was only six days ago, teacher Dara Haas was teaching freshman English when she heard those first gunshots. At first you thought this was just the drill. I thought it might be the drill and I, I went to shut the blinds and then I turned to say turn the lights off and when I turned I saw my student. I saw him and he did <laughs> He was bleeding. Before it would end, three 14-year-olds in her classroom lay dead. It's so hard to grasp that I lost their sweet little faces. As we were with her, she got a text from the father of one of those victims, Alex Schachter. Oh my gosh. It was a poem Alex had intended to submit for an upcoming assignment. Life is like a roller coaster. It has some ups and downs. Eventually it all comes to a stop. You won't know when or how, but you will know that it will be time to get off. It's just not fair. It's not fair that they had to be taken. And the list continues to grow of celebrities donating huge amounts of money to offset the costs of next month's nationwide marches against gun violence. It began with George and Amal Clooney announcing they will donate $500,000 and march with students. Since then, that donation has been matched by movie producer Jeffrey Katzenberg and his wife Marilyn, producer-director Steven Spielberg and his wife Kate Capshaw, 
and Oprah Winfrey, all pledging half a million dollars each. A NewsHour follow-up now to our story last December about bloody fish waste being pumped into the ocean from processing plants off Vancouver Island. Government tests have confirmed the waste does contain a live virus. But as Paul Johnson reports, there's still dispute over whether it's actually harmful to wild salmon. When we first got a look at Tavish Campbell's underwater video of fish blood effluent from farmed salmon processing plants... It was tough for many to see this side of the industry. And it became controversial when Campbell reported that samples he'd taken from two places showed the presence of a virus that can infect and may sicken wild salmon. Yes, he has been proven right. Now, the provincial government has confirmed that after Campbell's investigation, they sent their own scientists in and found the same virus that Campbell identified, known as PRV. It confirms what conservationists have long suspected. Fish farming industry says we are disinfecting our blood water when in fact all the indications are from these latest samples is there is no disinfection taking place. A wild salmon have been declining for years and no one is sure exactly why. Well, little is understood about how this virus affects salmon. Activists say the government shouldn't be allowing anything to happen that puts more stress on them. Last summer's Fraser River sockeye run had the lowest numbers in recorded history. Many juvenile Fraser River salmon have to swim through one of these virus-infected pollution clouds on their way to the open ocean. Could this be one of the factors in their decline? Jeremy Dunn of the BC Salmon Farmers Association says the science does not show a link. There's millions of viruses uh, in the ocean, most of which are harmless. Uh, the, the science to date on this particular virus would show that it's not having uh, a harm on, on farm fish or, or on wild fish. While the provincial government has now launched a review of the practice, as juvenile salmon begin their ocean journey in the next few months, 28 facilities in B.C. will still have valid permits to dump virus-infected blood water directly into their habitat. Paul Johnson, Global News. British royalty meets fashion royalty as Queen Elizabeth makes her first ever visit today to London's Fashion Week. The 91-year-old monarch sat next to the Queen of Fashion, American Vogue chief editor Anna Wintour for a show by British designer Richard Quinn, later presenting him with the first Queen Elizabeth II award for British design. And since we're talking about fashion, we should mention the Queen, who seemed to be enjoying herself at the show, wore an Angela Kelly dress and jacket decorated with Swarovski crystals. No sunglasses, though. No. Stana. A fiasco now for fast food lovers in the UK and Ireland. A crisis at KFC. Hundreds of restaurants closing because they've run out of chicken. Terry Okita reports on the disruption that has many people asking, what the cluck? Colonel Sanders may have to call in the cavalry after more than 550 KFC restaurants around the UK and Ireland closed their doors due to a chicken shortage. And those closures are making some customers hangry, both hungry and angry. It's a big change, so it does seem unbelievable, really. My reaction is angry, sad, and disappointed. The fast food chain recently hired shipping giant DHL to make its chicken deliveries. 
But DHL says due to operational issues, a number of shipments were incomplete or delayed. About 300 KFC restaurants, particularly in big cities like London, remain open, but they're offering limited menus and shorter hours. The poultry predicament has prompted the hashtag KFC crisis with tweets like police arrest the man responsible for chicken disaster with a nod to Ronald McDonald. Another reads, I suspect foul play. Even KFC joked it's working round the clock to fix the problem. It's a chicken plate, so <laughs> they should have enough chicken. Like they should be able to store it. Customers who need their fast food fix still say KFC's chicken is finger licking good. If only they could get their hands on some. Terry Okita, CBS News, London. A family of B.C. deer out for a snowy walk. Right after the forecast, how their precise formation isn't even the most impressive part. That's coming up. Very snowy mm -hmm. there. All right, and there's a potential for some snow here as well. Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at the weather forecast. Christy? Thanks so much, you too. Yes, so we're talking about cold and we're talking about the potential for snow. Not once, but twice here across the south coast. Beautiful sunset shot. I took this, actually, it's a photo uh, from just about 15 minutes ago because the sunset was so spectacular. Overnight lows for you tonight from minus 2 in some areas downtown, minus four in Delta, and then out in the Fraser Valley, you can expect about minus six. The wind chills dropping these temperatures by another two degrees. We had record lows across the province last night, 25 records. Here's some of the coldest. Burns Lake at minus 32.9, Blue River minus 30, Princeton minus 24, and Salmon Arm minus 22. We're expecting similar conditions again overnight, so another brisk one with a lot of areas expecting winds, so that'll drop the conditions even more. Now, tomorrow morning, mainly late morning, so the commute to work tomorrow should be okay. But late morning, we'll start to see light flurries develop, and I mean that. They're light flurries expected. We'll see two to four centimeters, and some areas may not see any at all. It will ease off through the evening hours, but this certainly could affect your commute home from work tomorrow. There's your Thursday, beautiful and clear, similar to what we saw today, and then the next set of uh, snowfall pushes in later Friday. Now, it's in the afternoon when it pushes in, so there's certainly a chance that it may be rain initially because we're warming up to about 3 degrees, but it will change over to snow quickly as soon as temperatures drop at night. Backing up and looking at your snowfall for tomorrow, just the range in snowfall across Vancouver Island will be the heaviest, up to 4 centimeters, but again, that's really quite light. Sunshine Coast, lower mainland, we're talking 0 to 2 centimeters max. And again, that's late morning through the afternoon hours. There's your forecast for tomorrow, so the majority of the snowfall from BC Peace River down through the central interior regions, light snow. These areas not expecting much at all. And then for the south coast, we talked about two to four centimeters in some areas. May not see anything at all. Highs of only minus one. We warm up, though, to three degrees. Average for this time of year is nine. And then the snow pushes in or rain at times uh, later Friday. And we'll be tracking that quite closely in the coming days. Merle O'Hara celebrating a birthday. Margaret Petrick as well. Dorothy McLaughlin, congratulations to you all. And an anniversary for you tonight, Ruth and Henry Scott celebrating 73 years together. And I thought this was a neat shot from Mount Curry. Sheila sent us this. I think that's the world's smallest snowman. <laughs> well, what's the frame of reference? I don't. I, exactly. We, I yeah. want to. It looks like the size of your thumb, maybe. Mm. Thanks, Christy.
Well, some video of a small herd of surprisingly well-organized and law-abiding deer starting to get a lot of attention online. It's posted on Reddit, apparently shot in Fernie of five deer running down the road. That last deer appearing to have a lot more fun than the first four. <laughs> but the most impressive part, the lead deer, wait for it, actually stopping at the stop sign to check the road before proceeding. Because as we know, safety first, kids. <laughs> Not a full stop, but then who does? <laughs> usually, a roll, usually a rolling stop at the old stop sign. Dad used to call that like a California stop. California stop. Taxi stop. Good Branson has his fans. He has his fans. His Lots of fans. Big, Benny. solid dude. Good-looking dude. Good in the Jim, community. Well, he's all of those things. Players like him. Nice guy to talk to. <laughs> he's handsome. Yeah. Well. <laughs> But then again, who isn't? Uh, Jim Benning loves him, and that's the most important thing of all. So you can scratch Eric Goodbranson's name off guys the Canucks might trade list because today they gave him a new three-year contract worth about $4 million per season. That means he won't be traded at the deadline, and he won't be traded anytime soon. It's a deal that on the surface seems like a lot of money for a guy who's been a third-pairing defenseman and one who has had trouble staying healthy, but the Canucks gave up a lot to get him in the trade with Florida when he came to Vancouver. Maybe they felt they wouldn't get enough in return if they traded him now. He does provide size and muscle. Now, this is not your dad's NHL, where teams require their fair share of tough guys, but it's always nice to know you have somebody on the ice who can scare off anyone who wants to take runs at your smaller, talented players. What Goodbranson needs to do, though, is not be something he is not, if you understand what I'm saying. He is designed to be a defensive defenseman, not one who rushes the puck, but most of all, and this really is out of his control, he needs to stay healthier than he has in the past. So uh, last night's episode of Dancing with the Stars was held in Pyeongchang, where Canada's Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer put an end to their golden careers with gold in the ice dance, which was the only way, really, when you think about it, to end such a legendary pairing. I mean, I want to say it's the skate of our lives because uh, we did it in the right moment, but we do that every day in training. The sport has such a rich history. Um, Canadians do in, in skating. We, we come from a long line of um, people that paved the way for us and, and we're grateful for their everything that they did. But um, it's, it's a nice feeling having set out to achieve two golds here in Pyeongchang and, and to really have accomplished that together. I mean, we had wings today from Canada. You could feel that support. and. I don't know what it is about the Olympic Games and, and the support that you get from Canadians, but it is special, and uh, we've been fortunate to have it three times, so thank you so much, Canada. And how about Comox's Cassie Sharp, gold in the women's half-pipe of freestyle skiing. She joins bobsleigh's Justin Cripps of Summerland as B-seers who have won gold for Canada. Well done. And Canada's still on pace for 30. Uh, if you're wondering, Norway is on pace for 40. No wonder they're the happiest nation in the world. Look how well they're doing. Mm -hmm. Craig Cunningham's story is one of good luck overcoming bad luck at the exact same moment. He collapsed from a heart attack before a minor league game and would have died for sure 
If that heart attack had happened anywhere else, because it was just before a game, there was medical personnel there. They got to him immediately. They brought him back to life. He now works as a scout for the Coyotes, but that's not all he does as he comes back from a life-altering event that nobody saw coming. The last thing I remembered was, you know, being on the ice and, you know, suiting up with my teammates and all of a sudden, bang. There was two realities. There was the one just over a year ago where you were on the ice and you were dead. Yeah. Now there's the reality that you're living life. Yeah, I mean, it's to, to be only 27, you know, to kind of look at life through those experiences has been, you know, it's made me very happy. 15 months later, doctors still don't know what caused Craig's near-fatal cardiac arrest, one that ended his playing career, cost him his leg, and changed everything about his life, professionally and personally. Gets a pass, Torres. Here comes Cunningham with a short-handed bit. His drive scores! Craig yeah, I'm not a hockey player anymore, and that's been, honestly, that's been, at first, that, I thought that was the hardest part. Um, until I had to start dealing with this. <laughs> and then this became the hardest and that became second. Taking the hard road is the only path Craig has traveled. As a 16-year-old rookie, he never scored a goal for the Vancouver Giants. A few seasons later, he was their team captain. Now he's leading in a different way, trying to convince athletes that what happened to him can happen to anyone. You shouldn't have a young, healthy 25-year-old athlete dying on the ice and sad thing is I'm not the first and you know I'm not gonna be the last. Nearly 20 surgeries later Craig's still finding his new normal which includes his all heart foundation designed to raise awareness and prevent sudden cardiac arrests. I'm hoping to get it to a point where you know we're making a difference you know even if I save you know not I sorry if we save one life you know in the next 20 years, I think it's been worth it, you know, if it's just one person. Because if anyone knows how precious a second chance at life is, it's Craig Cunningham. Think about, you know, how lucky you are to be alive and how lucky you are to have people around you that love you and support you. And it's, it's meant a lot. You know, every guy I see, you know, before was a handshake and now it's just a big hug, you know. That's, uh, that's kind of what it's turned into. Wow. Good to see him back. No doubt. No and he, great. it was like that close. Yeah. 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 Here's a look at today's snow report. Mostly clear and cold on the mountains today. Base at Whistler Blackcomb, 302 centimeters. 400 centimeters grouse, 395 cypress. 329 centimeters Sasquatch. Revelstoke, a base of 266. Manning Park, 204. Powder King, 260. And Mount Washington, 245. Big White's base, just under 300 centimeters. A little over 250 at Silver Star. Sun Peaks, 226. 258 at Apex. Coming up on ET Canada, guys, Tessa and Scott win gold and win the world's hearts. Plus, Headley makes some pretty significant changes, and the Clooney's help out the victims of the Florida school shootings. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right, thanks very much, Cheryl. Well, she traveled all the way from Mexico to be with her new family, only to get lost in the cold in North Vancouver. But the story of Queenie has a happy ending eight days after she went missing. Tanya Beja has the story. You want to say hi to everybody? Come on. Queenie is making her long-awaited appearance after eight nights on the run. Look at her. Hello, gorgeous. 
Our dogs are like our children. It's like an Amber Alert going out. Oh, so pretty. The pointer mix was rescued from a shelter in Mexico earlier this month. She was supposed to spend an evening in North Vancouver before meeting her adoptive family in Langford. But Queenie's leash snapped off during a walk and the pup ran off. We were running out of hope because three days we didn't have any signs from her. Volunteers from all over the Lower Mainland took shifts looking for Queenie. Even her caregiver from the shelter in Puerto Vallarta flew up to join the search. The call here, I think, was one of the things that... We really um, were worried about her. We knew the snow was coming, so we were in a big panic. But at the end of the day, by the morning, the snow was a blessing because we found her tracks. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, Queenie. For three days, they followed those tracks and the sightings, capturing Queenie when she made her way into a backyard on Larson Road. It was just like mad women dashing to, to the spot. We were like SWAT. Right? It was insane. The minute I saw Sabrina grab her, it was like tears. And literally everyone started screaming, we, we have her, we have her. Other than a small cough, Queenie seems to be doing well. And the strangers who found her, now friends. This is a group of people that before this didn't know each other. And these are people that I'm going to definitely stay in touch with for the rest of my life now. And Queenie will be off to her forever home. Tanya Beja, Global News.